Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. 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 A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Hi, Christy. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Miss Dana. How are you? I'm good. I am so excited to be here. I want to thank you and Gary and John Thomas and everybody at ETC for having me co-host oh. this podcast with you. I'm so Oh my excited. gosh, well, we are so excited that you take time out of your schedule to like join us and explore some of these things. So I'm excited about the conversations that we're going to have because I think you bring a fantastic perspective to everything you do. So I'm, I'm excited. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And um, for anybody who doesn't know, I, uh, I was part of ETC's first season way, way, way back when as an actor. And I've just um, always adored you guys and what you do. And I'm so proud of all the work that you've been doing to bring all this amazing theater to Chattanooga. And now you guys are doing a podcast and we're going to bring new unpublished works to like whoever. I mean, let's go international, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I'm excited for what could get exposed. I think I've said excited 75 times, so we should start a drinking game. Um, but I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I'm already I'm already on a Percocet because I pulled my back out. So let's add some alcohol. Into it, let's right? just make it a party. Um, it might not be a bad idea to go ahead and introduce ourselves. Um, so uh, my name is Christy Gallo. Um, I've been a producer with ETC for, oh my goodness, 10 years, 10 years plus. Um, so yeah. Uh, my name is Dana Colagiovanni. I am an actor. I've been an actor for ATC before. I've taught at some of your glee camps. I love teaching and uh, I currently live in New York City and I'm riding out this crazy pandemic with my little three-legged cat who may make an appearance every now and then. <laughs> um, she has a lot of opinions about new works, but um, I'm super excited to be here as an actor and an artist. Awesome. Well, so a little bit about ETC. We are a small theater company in Chattanooga. Um, and one of the passions of, of ETC, which stands for Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, is we have always been passionate about cultivating artists. And so anytime we get an opportunity to perform and explore new work, we jump at it. Um, we, we think we have a little bit of a responsibility to help um, give some light to some of this work that people are trying to put out there. So that's one of the objectives of this podcast is for us to really start diving into some of that work that might otherwise not get a whole lot of, um, you know, the attention it really deserves because there's so much going on. So how can we create a space for, for some of this amazing art? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, I'm so and I'm so excited. And what better time now? I think we're kind of having to reinvent art and theater right now with all of I mean, we're on Zoom right now. So I think it's kind of amazing that you're going to take what you've cultivated in Chattanooga and 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 spread this out. I'm really excited about this season at large. I know I, I know a couple playwrights and a couple of the actors, which is going to be so exciting. So um, I, I'm really excited that you guys are going to be growing your family and to be a part of that. Oh, well, that is awesome. <laughs> I have all the feelings, so that's a great way to start. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay. Um, we, yeah, go, go ahead. I was going to say we're going to dive. Should we dive into what our premiere podcast play? Yes, let's do it. That? Okay. Um, so this first piece that we're diving into um, is by ATC's own founder, Gary Lee Posey. It's a, it's a fantastic piece called Finding Father. Um, so this is actually a piece that we have 
produced before. So, so Dana, I would love to hear some of your thoughts maybe about this piece. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it up on its feet before, if you were around for that. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I never, not, I I never would, have. Okay. Awesome. So I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts, um, having, you know, having gotten to read it and yeah, your perspective. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm excited to hear what our actors are going to do with it for sure. But, um, it's funny cause I've known Gary for a very long time now, I guess. I don't know. When did we meet? 2004, I guess. Um, I met Gary 2004. And so I've known him for a very long time. And reading this play, I could hear his voice in this play. And that really excited me. And I loved some of the themes, Finding Father. I mean, I think in America, we think about that father-son trope quite often, but yeah. I like that this kind of spins it on its head about definitions of family, of father, of our, our young self, our old self, and how we're all connected and how one word or one role can have a bunch of different meanings depending on your perspective and who you are in your experience. So um, that's so very Gary to take one thing and kind of explode it out into one big theme. So I definitely heard his voice in that um, and that really intrigued me and excited me. And I also feel like um, in this quarantine process, I'm sure many other people are feeling like this. We are redefining family and family units and um, who we're close to and what those roles are. So that kind of resonated with me in a way that it might not have had I been not stuck in my apartment for four months or five months. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm really, I'm really excited to hear this um, just based on that first read and all the, the, the Garyisms and things that were kind of jumbling around in my head. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what I think what you said about things being put into perspective right now is so key. I know so many people who have had a little bit of that pivot of realizing how important family is and however you define family and, you know, those close relationships to you. And one of the things I loved in this piece is the cyclicalness of it. You know, you can see the cycle, um, just tumbling upon itself be between these three characters. You just get such a depth of history. I know that sounds so abstract, but it makes more sense once you once you um, hear the show. Yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful tease for, for everybody who's about to listen in to kind of uh, think about it in that way. Cause I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that just from a read. So I can't wait to hear these, these voices behind it. Right, absolutely. So yeah. let's, let's dive in. All right, let's 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 get our lights up on our very first play for this podcast. Yay! <laughs> lights up on a basketball court in the middle of a park. It is slightly before the sun comes out. This is one of those ethereal places that when happened upon as the sun is coming out has a magical feeling of youth and vitality. Sitting on the basketball court is a slightly older man drinking out of a brown paper bag. Moments later, a slightly younger man enters, sees a slightly older man, and then rushes to him. What's a father? Where can I find one? Sorry, kid. Not gonna be too much help for you there. I didn't think you would. You look like me, all grown up. What if I am? That'd be weird. Existentially weird? Well, not by definition. Unless, of course, if you were an older me, you somehow defined my existence with your being. Like, if I were to teach you something? Well, it would have to be more than something. It would have to be appropriate. Appropriate? 
Yeah. Like, don't cross the street without looking both ways. Well, that's not deep enough for existentialism. Why not? Because it's so basic. If you look both ways, you don't die. Therefore, you exist. Ergo, I exist. Only if you are who we are pretending you are. Beats everything else I pretended to be. Such as? Mind if I sit? To someone off stage. Get out of here. This isn't yours no more. Go. Go. I got a crowbar. You want to challenge that? Well, let's see. An athlete. I pretended to be an athlete once. What'd you play? You name it. Basketball? Thanks. You would go there first. I can't believe it. Of all the fucking sports you could have chose, you say basketball. (laughs) What did I say? Basketball. We're in the middle of a court. It's the first thing that popped in my mind. What did you want me to say, water polo? And then you bring up the water. I don't understand. Look, son, how old are you? I don't know. Like 17, maybe? 17. Well, I'm at least 14, but not beyond 21. How do you know you're at least 14? Armpit hair. It's not a lot, but it's there. And 21? Haven't really acquired a taste for beer yet. Yeah, that would put you at 17. So, what's all this nonsense about basketball? Look, kid. There's no way we could be the same person. Why are you out so late, anyway? Trying to find a father. Just any father? I guess. Fathers are like socks. They sometimes get lost in the dryer. Hmm? That was sort of existential. Sort of. You believe in dryer monsters? Dryer monsters? Yeah, the beast that steals things. Would its name be something like negligence? Is that a joke? Maybe. I got a crowbar. I know. You may be younger, but I'm stronger, wiser. Then why aren't you laughing? What? My punchline. What punchline? Negligence. Why is that funny? Because it implies that you didn't put the thing in there in the first place. And so the monster is then your forgetfulness or negligence. Smart ass. (laughs) Okay. I got a crowbar. I see that. You going to hit me with it? No, I sometimes hit myself with it. That's, I don't really have a response for that. No, I was 11. We were at the practice at this Methodist church one Saturday afternoon. All of our matches were held at churches. And I always thought a church with a gym was pretty cool. Like athleticism was next to godlinism and godism. You get the idea. Anyway, I was a glorified bench warmer, just hanging out, watching the other kids play. I guess I pitched a fit because I saw it was a waste of time, and I could sleep in on Saturdays just as well. I I could sit on a bench and look. Well, my mother was never a fan of quitters, so she has a talk with the coach at the next practice. The Saturday morning in question, we're running drills and some scrimmages, and I'm sitting on the bench where I'd been told to sit by the coach. And he looks over and he says, hey, you, let's go, hustle up. I guess I was more confused and disoriented than anything, but whatever the case, I, I wasn't running fast enough for him. So he grabs my arm and he starts dragging me across the gym floor in front of the team another practicing team saying, run faster, run faster, run faster. 
You'll never get to play on the team I coach because you run too slow. Now, you going to cry, baby? Go sit down. Then a whistle blows. My mother had another talk with the coach, but I still couldn't quit. I just had to sit the bench. Was that coach your father? What's a father? Maybe we are the same person. You have a basketball sob story too? No. Well, then we ain't the same fucking person, are we? I guess not. Why? Why are you here, kid? This ain't a place for fathers. Maybe the basketball court is like a transgenerational metaphor or something like that. You still thinking we might be the same person? Like a an Albie play? What's an Albie? Who's an Albie? I don't know. <laughs> Am I an Albie? That wasn't the question. Yes, it was. Am I an Albie is a question. There's something not right with you. I'm missing my father. Maybe there's a psychological barrier preventing you from experiencing the gentle stimulation and satisfaction of parental love. You sound intelligent. What's that supposed to mean? I just thought that you sounded... Yeah, since I was out in the middle of a basketball court in the middle of the night with fingerless gloves drinking from a brown paper bag that I get to go to college. Oh, yeah. Common misconception. Swear to God. God? The father of all fathers. Where can I find him? Look around. It's what they tell me. I don't see anyone else here. It's a metaphor, a figure of speech in which an expression is used to refer to something that it does not literally denote in order to suggest a similarity. So you're saying this God guy is everywhere? Well, he created everything, so he is everything or something like that. So he created me without a father. Well, he's done some pretty miraculous things before. So I should be angry at him. Might as well. Everyone else tries it. Besides, he's the one ultimately responsible. Really? You see this penny, my friend? Yeah. What was I going to say? S something about a penny. And it was so existential, too. Damn. A penny saved is a penny earned? Look, I have a degree. I know I'll be. Existentialism is a piece of cake. Is... God an existentialist? You're not young yet. Your understanding of existentialism needs to mature. That was condescending. Well, I'm taller than you. My sob story isn't about basketball. It's more about innocence lost. Innocence lost? How Milton. Just because you can toss $5 words out and make cheap allusions to classic authors doesn't make you some kind of modern-day sage. One, a mentor in spiritual and philosophical topics who is renowned for profound wisdom. Two, aromatic, fresh, or dried gray-green leaves used wisely as seasoning for meats, fowl, and game. Three, any of the various plants of the genus Salvia. Four, a cosmopolitan herb as an adjective. One, having wisdom that comes with age and experience. And two, like the gray-green color of sage leaf. Oh. I like to read when I take a dump. The dictionary? I've read it through probably 45 times, cover to cover. I still find new words. 
45 times. I don't have a library card. And why spend $20 on a book that once you read it, you're going to take it to a used bookstore and get less than half what you paid for it. It's ridiculous. Did you memorize it? Most of it. Sage is an easy one. I grew up in a kitchen. Oh, your parents owned a restaurant? Nah, we had a small house. We? So you had a father? I am the amalgamation of sperm and egg. So a sperm is my true father? Well, uh, probably several, uh, as I understand the process. Where do I find a sperm? You might be closer to 14 now that I come to think of it. What's a sperm? Millions of little-tailed... Have you ever seen a tadpole or, or a paisley? Sorry, no. Well, uh, I was going to say it's like one of those two things in appearance. In order to know my father, I need to understand sperm. Do you know what sex is? I don't understand. Yeah, I'm getting that. What's well, like this. In order for there to be a you, people had to get together and do some things. Like... When you go to the bank and make a deposit in a savings account, an investment, and that investment matures. And then the current economic trends force that investment to act in a different manner than you had intended you made the deposit. But you can't really cash out because you know it will be worth a lot more down the road when it can actually take care of you but i am trying to find out what a father is and where i can find one do i need to go to a bank metaphors are lost on you huh i guess you know i don't usually do this sort of thing and i'm not really in any sort of place where i'm able per se but seeing as how you are a nice kid and you just need a little education. I could be your father if you wanted. I don't think that will work. No? Sorry. Whatever. It was just an offer. Not like I was a good parent anyway. If it were, I probably wouldn't be trying to pick up a son on a basketball court in the middle of the morning. I wish you wouldn't take it personally. I don't deal well with rejection. When I came upon you, I realized you may be many things to me, but a father you aren't. Well, my father you aren't. You knew that? Yeah. It was perfectly clear from the moment I met you here that you weren't the person I was looking for. My father has to be strong, have a nice complexion, beaming smile, nice firm handshake, exuding confidence. I have to want to hug him. I'm huggable. You are. But I don't want to hug you. This is something I did. I don't know. It's just a desire I do not possess. Are there desires you do possess? Sitting here and trying to find a father. Maybe it's because we're both looking. Maybe it's because we are the same person. Maybe it's because I smell. Maybe it's because I am a smart ass. Does this make me look fat? <laughs> they start laughing. They've crossed a hurdle. Suddenly, we are aware that a girl has appeared. She is about the same age as the slightly younger man. She is also looking for something, but not very sure if she wants to find whatever it is. Who's that? Want me to go over and ask her? Oh, don't embarrass me. 
How would that be embarrassing? Just walking up to a perfect stranger and carrying on a conversation like you've known each other forever? Maybe we have. Where are you going? To talk to her. Get back here? We're just going to stare at her. What is she doing? Staring at us. What for? You want me to ask her? I got a crowbar. I don't think she's harmful. Oh, dear God, she's coming over here. Uh, excuse me, uh, you looking for something? A father? I am too. Really? We were just talking about sperm. Whales, sperm whales. Uh, he wants to be an aquatic biologist. But we weren't, wait, what's Stop. the... Thank me when you're older. Stop treating me like I'm a child. Stop acting like one. Are you gonna cry now, you baby? Now that's a little insensitive. You're right. I, I was just role-playing a bit, seeing how that felt coming out of the mouth. Uh, not very good. You see, I have this sob story about basketball. Look, don't take this the wrong way, but you're too old. Too old for what? There are a lot of things I can do. Not that you were asking me to do anything or had any plans to ask me to do anything. Have you seen a father around here? Kids these days looking for their parents. To lose one parent seems like a misfortune. Oh, I haven't lost one. Oh? It's hard to lose something that you don't even know what it is. Like your virginity. What's a virginity? Armpit hair or not, you can't be 17. Maybe he's pure and innocent. Maybe it's past his bedtime. Maybe you passed your prime. Maybe we're all three existentially linked through our need to find a father. What's your name? Iggy. I'm Umi. You guys have names? Yes, old man. You should have one too. I don't. Well, what do you answer to? Any old thing. We should name him. Will it hurt? He looks like a Ben to me. I was thinking more like a Zachary. Oh, Zachary's nice. But what if he has a lisp? I don't have a lisp. Yet. Yet. I know. Sonny. I like that. Very fitting. Well... Now that we know each other. Now what? I don't know. Well, why do things seem so awkward now? One, not dexterous, clumsy. Two, clumsy or unskillfully performed. Three, difficult to handle or manage. Four, difficult to affect, uncomfortable. Five, marked by or causing embarrassment or discomfort. Six, requiring great tact. Ingenuity, skill, and discretion. He reads the dictionary when he is relieving himself. Don't tell everyone. Is that natural? I'm not sure. Well, where did you come from? Well, my first memory is talking with Sandy here. How long have you been talking with Sandy? That's a great question. Don't interrupt. Well, I guess for about 15 minutes now. Hmm. Intriguing. And both of you are looking for a father? I am. 
I am too. Well, kind of. Okay, here it is. I have a son. He's a great guy. Hard worker. He wants a car. All that we have to give him is this little clunker. But he's in love with it. Loves driving it around. Well, the family car dies. It's a clunker too. And I need to borrow his car indefinitely. We're getting a fight. We push each other, say things we shouldn't say. He sheds some tears and yells really loud. I scold him. Is that typical? Yes, for a lot of families. What's a family? Umi, you want to take that one? Finish your story first. Sure. So he runs into his room, slams the door, and I sit on the porch. His keys in my hand. I guess you could say I won. Smoke a cigarette, horrible habit. Don't ever get involved. I go in and I sit next to his mother. Your wife. Legally, sure. What do you mean? Husband and wife had sacrificed to breadwinner and chauffeur. Somewhere around in there, we passed mother and father anyway. I toss the keys in her direction and say, I got him. Wasn't easy. And she turns to me and says, in order to learn how to be a father, you have to remember how to be a son. I left the house that next day. A family is a social unit that lives together. A father and a mother and a child? Well, that's how it was intended long ago, but things change. Where do you come from? Where we all came from. That's a metaphor, Iggs. It's not really. We were all created. Are we back to this God guy again? God is a representation, the ultimate metaphor. For what? For what we are all looking for. Father? In the much grander sense, he represents the ultimate permission grantor, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate disciplinarian, the ultimate reliever. But does he exist? This should be enlightening. Look around. I tried that one already. Look up. It's a dark sky. Now, close your eyes and tell me what you see. As Iggy speaks, Sonny might start to recognize certain things from a past he has probably long since forgot. I see myself sitting on a floor, playing to an overturned toy chest that is shaped like a football. I see myself yelling, I'm leaving, and walking out a front door. I see myself sitting in a dugout in a ball uniform being ignored while someone else who looks just like me gets congratulated on a job well done. Now I'm dumpster diving, looking for books and magazines. I see myself ridiculing some guy who is driving me around. Now I'm walking through this white room. Lots of people looking at me with sad faces or faces of concern and disappointment, confusion, and sympathy. Three white-clad individuals with face masks stop me, place an arm on me, and then I turn a corner, and looking through a round window, I see a man with a huge smile, and I start crying. That's your father. But he's... In your mind. Not lost. No, not lost. Iggy, I'm sorry. I don't understand. Neither did I. I've been wandering aimlessly, trying to figure things out, trying to make amends. Why are you saying these things to me? Umi? Iggy, you have a father. Your mind 
just isn't ready to accept the truth about him. Iggy, I'm like the prodigal dad. But I don't know what you mean. I don't have a past. My existence began when I approached Sonny and began talking to him. Denying your history doesn't invalidate it, Iggy. I don't know, Sonny. I've never met him before. Sonny removes his outer garments. He is all clad in white. Dad? Son. Wait, where are you going? I don't need to wonder anymore. You're just going to leave me now. Sonny is gone. Where did he go? Here. Umi touches Iggy's head. Iggy closes his eyes and smiles. Now that you found what you were looking for, I need some help. I don't possess any of that knowledge that you were tossing about earlier. Oh, you don't think so? I can't help you find your father like you helped me. You can help me, though. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not looking for my father. Umi touches her stomach. Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app. Or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. All right, so we just got a chance to listen to Finding Father by Gary Lee Posey, and he is with us right now to, to chat a little bit about this piece, which is really exciting. Um, so first off, Gary, if it's okay, I kind of want to dive into the names of your characters. So the actors that we had were Cody Cowan, Ed Huckabee, and Autumn Allison, who I think just did a fantastic job bringing your piece to life. Um, would you break down these very unique character names? Where did you get them? What do they mean? Just kind of walk us through that. This is it's a great, great way to start off a question like this for me about writing, because I hate names. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't like naming anybody. There was Like your own uh, name? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I like my name. No, okay, but good. like... Um, in, in plays that I write, I really have a difficult time coming up with names. So that's why they start off as just 
a slightly older gentleman and a slightly younger gentleman and then a woman who's maybe and, she's and just to to cut in here this slightly younger man was cody that was that voice that we heard the right. older gentleman was ed and the female was autumn so you right. just started them kind of no-name gendered and that no was, those name. were the actors we yeah. heard yeah and 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 i don't think that i had had any intentions of naming them and i remember getting to this place where um where she's you know she wants to say our name and i was like oh crap man i gotta give her a name now <laughs> you know? um so i i and and I, I was trying to figure out what what i would do with that so i just you know google is my friend right so I just typed in, you know, what's an old name, reverent name that is not American or not English in nature. Uh, and that means uh, female. So Umi uh, is of African origin and means mother. And, and right, right, I think in the same little thing that I was looking at on, on Google that, you know, the next thing down was like uh, Iggy. And that was the only son. And I'm like, I love that because Iggy is such a, it's such an, an awkward sort of odd sounding fun name, which the piece to me has sort of an awkward fun sound to it. So um, Iggy seemed to really fit with that. Um, and Umi and Iggy just seemed like, you know, the only son, mother, there was just a, a very sort of, I guess, religious or Judeo-Christian feel going to it and so uh i just let that carry me and then uh so sani is um it's actually native american and means the old one it ended up being that the names started to uh help define the title of the play as well and and what the play is about so do you feel like the characters kind of developed a need for a name or was that something that you felt you wanted to give them? Uh, that's a that's a great question. I, I think that if I if I had to, you know, not take any responsibility for what I've done, then I would say that the characters developed a need to be named. Um, there, uh, I was gonna mention earlier, but a playwright, a playwright friend of mine, and uh, we uh, would send our scripts back and forth to each other and one time he said, why don't you name any of your characters? <laughs> I said, I don't want to name them. I don't want to name them. <laughs> like, I just, it's like some kind of like barrier. He's like, yeah, but when you name them, it becomes very personal. And, um, and I remember when I was writing this, as soon as, as soon as the names came, then the play became more personal. And it was already a personal journey anyway. So um, I, I think the characters were telling me that they needed names. I would say that, um, well, first of all, it was very interesting and I'm, I'm sure Chrissy felt the same. Chrissy and I have both known you for such a long time um, and have had the opportunity to read and see and be in, you know, some of your works before. So we have a little insight into the, the Gary Lee Posey mind already. <laughs> um, so, so we have a little more of, um, we might be reading in a little more than some of the average listener but but I was going to say that your work to me always and you as a person, I, I believe and an artist and Chrissy, you can back me up or totally disagree with me on this. Um, I think you speak and write in metaphor a lot. 100%. Yes, 100%. And, 
I think you do it beautifully and it's and layer super layered and we talked in our intro a little bit about um the meaning of words and how a word can take on a meaning or a shape based on who you are in the world and the perception um you know what does family mean uh the father means one thing to umi where to iggy father means another word and both of them are right and then you have your older man character who literally is the embodiment of a dictionary so um i think you like to go in and get really multi-layered and it's really really beautiful and and so i would say your writing is totally based in metaphor and when you were describing those characters names right now and how you came to them you brought up two things that um Chrissy and I hit on when we were listening, both reading and then listening to the to the play to to Finding Father, this performance, was one, you make multiple religious references and metaphors. And I find it interesting that you pulled, not knowingly even, but you pulled from religious meanings and religious lore um, for these names. And then you said it was personal and and us knowing you know that this is a personal story. So I guess my, my first question would be when, I know this is an older work of yours, when did you write this? If you could tell us that, uh, maybe just a little bit of what was personal about it then and how do you feel revisiting it and hearing it again now where you are in your life journey? Oh God, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I would have written it 2009, 2010, so it's probably about 10 years old. Um, so one of the things that is like sort of prominent and prevalent in, in a lot of the things that I write is this idea of death and sort of like um, the idea that, you know, what, what is, what happens after death and, and what does death mean? And also, you know, uh, the idea that there's a, a higher power that's sort of like protecting somebody or something or anyway, and for me, that's like, uh, I guess that's my father. Um, so my father died when I was 18. Uh, I had just finished my first semester of undergrad. And he and my mom and my little brother had come to North Carolina to pick me up to take, you know, to come back home for winter break. Um, and on the way back, he died in Asheville, which is about a third of the way to Chattanooga from where I went to school. So he didn't even make it back to Chattanooga. He, um, and we, because we didn't have the means really to stay anywhere, hotel or anything. So we ended up having to leave my dad in North Carolina at the hospital and my mom, because she was driving a stick shift and I can't drive a stick shift, <laughs> you know, had to drive through the rain and through the mountains between uh, Tennessee and North, uh, North Carolina to get back to Chattanooga so that we could be with our family. So um, that, that has, uh, I guess, always been kind of a traumatic um, experience. And I don't know that I ever fully came to terms with it or processed it. Um, one reason is because when I came back, I just assumed that I was done with college you know, that I would not be going back to North Carolina. I would have to stay, take care of my brother who was, you know, 12, um, help with mom and everything and not go back to, to Catawba. And 
I remember mom and I having that conversation and, and she's saying, no, I think that that's what your dad would want is for you to go back. Um, so I didn't really have the time to grieve then. Um, and, uh, and before that, I don't even think that there had ever been like a close family member of mine that had died. So I really wasn't like of the frame of mind to understand what that, what that would mean. And then to complicate things even more, my dad and I did not have a very strong uh, relationship um, through my teenage as very, I don't know if I was rebellious. I mean, I had a twin brother who was very rebellious, so <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't have to do much, but there was, there was definitely a lot of um, tension between my father and I. And, and, and in, in retrospect, there's a lot that I really, I am kind of ashamed of or carry a lot of guilt about some of the things that I said or some of the ways that I behaved whether or not, I mean, and that's all in retrospect, of course, you know, that's the, the 27 year old, the 37 year old, the 44 year old looking back on the 17 year old, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and judging that. So I think all of that has really had a profound influence on my writing, but also on my art and, and what I do. Um, and, and I really feel like there have been a couple of instances like, you know, there was an accident my mother and I was in that was pretty, pretty terrible for the car. But the only thing that was broken was my mother's wrist from doing the soccer mom, you know, arm bar. <laughs> the mom out, arm, yeah. The mom arm <laughs> out. You know, they had the jaws of life, the car to get my mom out of it. But, but the only thing that she broke was her wrist that hit the center of my chest, my sternum. You know, and, and so in my mind, like, you know, something, because I remember spinning and going, this is it. I remember saying that and seeing the world spin. And I was like, but then everything was fine, you know? And I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not like a, a, a huge religious or Christian based person. Um, I, I have a faith. I haven't fully defined it yet, you know, kind of thing. But there was definitely something divine about that moment. And then there's another instance where I was driving from North, uh, from New York, uh, upstate New York, all the way down to Chattanooga after a summer stock season. And it was a 19 and a half hour drive. And I did it without stopping. And I had just worked an 80 hour week of tech theater, you know, doing costumes. And I don't know how I did that, you know? And so the only thing that I could think of was that something was protecting me. So, um, there's been this whole like feeling that, you know, my father's been with me ever since. And like, even though I didn't have the greatest of relationship with him before he died, we've been able to connect afterwards through, through my theater, through the craft that I do. And um, so I wrote this play because there was a dream that I had had and I referenced the dream in the play. Um, uh, the, you know, when uh, Iggy is looking up at the sky and he's sort of like going back in his memory. Um, so that was a dream. And I just, this whole idea and the man that I saw when I walked into this room, uh, all these people dressed in white and, and, and it was just my father. And I was sobbing and hugging him. And I was like, and I remember having that dream. And you know, I, how many dreams we have a night and how do we remember them all? And this one I've just never forgotten. 
And so I really felt like I needed to sort of process, um, process that whole experience in the way that I know how, and that's through writing. So that's kind of where Finding Father came from. So, so you didn't watch this previously when it's been produced. It's been 10 years. You've, you've kind of evolved even more as a person now. And you listened to this recording. Was A, what was that like? And B, was that the first time you've heard actors say these words? Um, so I didn't watch it, but I did listen to it every night um, that it performed uh, in the festival. So I, I had heard it and I've listened to it, but I've not seen it on its feet. Um, but I, you know, it's when we were setting up this podcast and, and trying to decide, you know, what plays or, you know, what we were going to do, I thought, you know, it'd be really easy because they're accessible if we just did one of my plays. <laughs> You know, uh, they're accessible. We can play around with the format by interviewing me. And I had just had a therapy session um, and my therapist and I were talking about um, sort of my family's relationship and, uh, you know, being gay and, and, and how I feel kind of displaced uh, sometimes by that. And uh, I had mentioned, it just came up about Finding Father, and I said, you know, I wrote this play like 10 years ago or whatever about Finding Father, and uh, he's like, do you mind if I read it? And I thought, oh, God, you know, because <laughs> talk about vulnerability, because this is one of the most vulnerable pieces that I think I've ever written. And I said, so I sent it to him, and he read it, and we had a very, a very profound discussion about it. And... Um, it just, it's so funny because there, there's a lot of things now that, and since then, that are very much particular to my life that then they weren't. Um, and one of the, the, uh, the idea of the water, you know, it's very brief, but he says, you know, oh, and then you bring up the water, you know. Um, so that's like, a, water is a big, uh, scary thing for me. If I objectify it, I'm sitting in the, or I'm suspended in the middle of a body of water and surrounded by a lot of people who are very familiar, all with their arms stretched out to me, um, offering me assistance or help or whatever. I couldn't tell you exactly who they were or where they're standing. I just know that they're familiar but I'm like in the middle of this body of water, treading water, um, knowing that I can't tread forever, but unwilling to go in any direction. I mean, in a, in a way, it's almost like your past self has given little surprises for your future self that you are almost like in real time unpacking as you revisit the work. Do I kind of understand that? Oh yeah, that's okay. it definitely as if my past self was saying, you're going to need this in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish my past self did that. <laughs> which, is, which is also so ironic because I think in the intro, um, we were talking about past and future selves and being one of the same and being parts of self because the whole intro of the play is these two male characters trying to figure out, you know, are you future me? Am I you in another life? Am I this? And that's such an archetype of father-son, right? To to that whole um, kind of history and legacy of a, a son to become a father. 
and and so you have them hashing out this who are you to me are you me are you part of me um so it's it's like you really and i know you said you're kind of free-flowing and going and you speak through metaphor anyway as we've we've heard already so many times in your answer you articulate things so well in within a metaphor it was kind of like your subconscious was leading the way in this play it feels like i don't want to put words on your on your process but it, it feels like that to me a little bit so when i was growing up there were there were two things that i wanted to be in my life was president and a father those are the two things that i wanted more than anything and uh very quickly i realized that i probably wasn't going to be president um, and then when I came out of the closet, it didn't seem like I was going to be able to be a father either. So yeah, I think that there's an idea, there's this whole, my life has, and maybe it's because my dad died when I was 18, or maybe it was because I never felt like I had a strong relationship with him when he was here. Um, and so I want, I don't know what it is, but there's been definitely been a big, uh, influence of like, what is a father? Um, will I be a father? Can I be a father? And, you know, um, the older I get, it's kind of like I, I've not given up on the idea of being a father, but I, you know, there's just like, there's parts of me to go, I don't know that fatherhood is in the way that I see it is going to be in, and is going to be in my future, you know, and that's kind of a startling realization. Um, but I think that fatherhood has, been defined many different ways in my life um so you know maybe i am a father but just not the father that i thought i wanted to be if that makes any sense yeah, and absolutely. so so yeah again but I, I don't know that any of these thoughts were there when i wrote the well they weren't there literally or you know not physically there when i wrote the play uh, then I want to ask you, because you brought, there were two lines that I wrote down that really jumped out at me, both just from being a, a listener and an audience member, but then of course layered because of my relationship with you and knowing you and, and knowing a little bit of your history. And the first is um, what you just spoke about. So I want to know if this was conscious on your part and if at any point in listening to this uh, line that you wrote, if it jumped out at you now with any significance was, in order to learn how to be a father, you must remember how to be a son, right? Because that is Sony's journey and then kind of becomes Iggy's journey. And I just wanted to know if that hit you, if you were aware of it when you were writing it, if it jumped out at you later, what was that? Uh, or uh, maybe none of the above. No, it, I, I would say that was the idea behind the piece to begin with, the, the impetus for writing it. So, you know, when it comes later in the play, you know, the, the incident that that line comes from where he's talking about the car, like that, that was an actual, you know, fight between me and my dad. Um, it had to have been one of the last moments because it was right before I went away to college. Um, and uh, I was just, I was so angry and so devastated. And I remember in retrospect going it's just a stupid car i mean it didn't even go 45 miles per hour on the interstate you know but it god it just made me so angry and i said so many hurtful things to my father that day and i remember slamming the door and going into the house and him sitting on the porch 
And I just went, wonder what would have what happened after that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, it, you know, that whole thing and I thought, well, this is very interesting because, you know, maybe that's what we both needed to know in that moment was, you know, I needed to know how to be a better son and he needed to know how to father better by understanding how to be a son. I don't know. Did it, does that, you know, that kind of like, it's all very cyclical and, and, and weird, but that, uh, that's, you know, one of the last memories I have of my father um, before he died. Um, and the other one is, I hate, I hate thinking about it because I feel like such a jerk, but, you know, we were moving things out of my dorm room and I walked out the door of my dorm room and my dad was like leaning up against the wall across the hallway. Um, and he was clearly tired or exhausted or whatever. And um, he, I was like, come on, dad, let's go. We're never gonna get this done, you know? And my mom walked by and she's like, Gary, take it easy on your dad, he's not feeling well. And I'm like, oh my God, he's so lazy, you know? And so, you know, I, we get everything. And again, we're in a very tiny car, four people and all of my stuff from college, you know? and um, about not even two hours later, he's dead. There's so much like bittersweetness to everything that you're talking about. I mean, it's funny that the older I've gotten and the more um, I'll say definitions to who I am that get layered in. Um, like now that I'm a wife, now that I'm a mom, these these things I never thought I would be. I have such a greater perspective and understanding of my parents or what it meant to be a child. And um, suddenly my capacity for grace bust it has busted open and it's just grown so much so mm-hmm. like hearing these stories it that that's just incredible real life richness you know i um i imagine it has to leave a little bit of that ache in you when you when you speak about them it, but that's just that real life ache and that's how i i take it but thank you for sharing those uh, stories those are beautiful yeah i mean it's um it's tough it's uh it's tough sometimes just because I, I think that, you know, one of, one of my problems uh, in life in general is just this need to feel accepted or necessary. Mm. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I don't know that, I don't think that that comes from never having felt that as a young person. Um, I think that comes from the guilt of, you know, I don't know, life is fleeting, you know? Uh, and so, uh, and it, it just was like, you know, he's there and he, I'm 44. He died when he was 51. So that, that perspective is also really scary. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, the play just, it just, it, there's a lot of personal meaning to it, but it, you know, it's also, I think I hide all of that vulnerability behind metaphors or behind cyclical conversation or maybe even an absurdist, you know, kind of uh, approach to storytelling. Well, and I was going to say, so my last question for you, I don't know, Dana, if you have another one, but my last question for you um, is exactly in that vein. So as an, as an audience member viewing a piece that's rife with metaphor and, and more on the abstract sense, what do you want your audience to walk away feeling about this piece? The first word that pops into my mind is resolution. Um, and, and I don't mean that there's an ending to something, but there's, it, it's like, uh, there's some resolve, 
You know, I felt that there was some closure for Iggy's character. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Closure, resolve, yeah, just in the comfort that comes from having the knowledge of something that you didn't understand. But there was a, a closure there, and I think, you know, you said you want to be accepted and seen, and I think that's why so many of us turn to the arts, and I think that's what's an identifying human characteristic through everything and i thought it's really beautiful chrissy you said by becoming a wife and a mother you your your capacity for grace has kind of busted open and uh, you know i'm neither a wife nor a mother and i also am not sure that that will happen for me in my life but i love that i think this is why the arts is so important and it's so great that you know part of the reason we're doing this podcast is we can't necessarily perform actual theater live theater as we know it but we're going to bring this to you in this more of a radio play format and get works out there and kind of connect people in a broader way through this technology. And um, I think it's really interesting that we've turned to the arts and Gary, you've turned to the arts to kind of explore that and like, okay, if I'm not going to be a father in the way I wanted and I can't be, a, a, I couldn't complete my journey as a son, perhaps in the way that I would have liked to historically you can kind of work some of that out and try and open up your capacity for grace for those people through the art form. And it is not the same as living it, but we do our damnedest to try. And, and that's what I love so much. And so I think that's really cool that we get to talk about this here in this premiere episode. And we're gonna get to talk to so many other amazing playwrights about what personal experience they've brought and yet why it seems so recognizable and, and universal to all of us. So I'm so glad we have this piece. I'm so glad and grateful that you shared all of that personal information with us and people who are listening who know you and know ETC very well may have learned a lot of new things about you so thanks for being vulnerable with us on the podcast <laughs> I yeah no I, yes you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> shall we do our, our yes I was gonna say we can give them the chance to learn a little bit more with our very fun um finale piece that we call rapid fire questions oh god and we're going to be doing this for every playwright every week this is how we're going to end our interviews okay. so first thing that comes to your mind gary and um you know if you absolutely have to pass a question you can pass but this is your answer right now in the present in the moment we won't hold you to it if we ask you this again later at, at a christmas special you know <laughs> answers can, people can change and answers can change <laughs> okay you ready i'm ready let's go all right here we go what is your favorite word sleep <laughs> so what is your least favorite word uh love oh Interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like I, we could unpack that, but this is called rapid fire. So I got to <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite or your most used emoji? Either or. It's the shrug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's you're like Gary. That that's fantastic. Okay. I Christy, approve. don't you get that the most from him? I feel like in a text, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds about right. All right. Sweet or savory? Oh, savory. Okay, Window fine. Or... Sweet, sweet, sweet. It's not sweet. fair. Okay. <laughs> window or aisle seat? Oh, God. Um, an, a window. Dolphins or koalas? Oh, koalas. Yeah, koalas. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate. Definitely milk chocolate. Summer or winter? Winter. I hate summer. 
I'm with you. Um, <laughs> name a dessert you don't like. Sweet potato pie. Sorry. Hurt my heart. Okay, what is one superpower you wish you had? Oh, I wish I could apparate. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, what are three things you can't live without? Don't say Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola? Or Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all of my nephews and nieces that are out there that are my real nephew, but also all of my friends' children, I can't live without them. I can't live without my passion. And I can't live without my imagination. Oh, good answers. Good answers. If you had a tattoo, what would it be and where? It would be a circus tent. I don't have any tattoos. You're going to get a circus tent? Yeah, I want a circus tent and I want it on the inside of my wrist. Excellent. Okay, you are stuck on an island. You can pick one food to eat forever without getting tired of it. What are you eating? Um, because I'm with the two of you, I'm going to say avocados. <laughs> That's such a lie, though. It, is it would such be a like lie. Sour Patch. It would be watermelon Sour Patch Kids <laughs> or um... a big uh, Red Baron pizzas. Yes. Oh my God. Red you guys are embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> Bagel bites. No. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I, probably pizza. Yeah. What is a book or play that you think everyone should read? Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow. Yes. You, yeah. you are the first person to encourage me to read that. And I've, I've reread it a couple of times since, and I don't normally reread books. Um, if your life were a song, what would the title be? Oh, a really bad country one. Um, called A Day Late and A Dollar Short. Oh my God. <laughs> if you could master one instrument, what would it be? Oh, the piano. I knew you were going to say piano. Um, if you could live anywhere else, where would you live? I really enjoy living in DC. What is your favorite way to rest or decompress? Drive. Mm. Yeah, when I'm driving to work with no radio on. I get that. Oh, I love to drive. Uh, if you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would it be? My nephew. Seeing the world through the eyes of someone under five, that just is so amazing to me. Um, Gosh, yes. Uh, what's inspiring you in life right now? My, uh, my mental journey, my mental health journey, my um, understanding, well, I guess I am, I'm inspiring myself right now. <laughs> no, that's good. It's growth, yeah, right? I'm yeah. all about it. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Okay, so I, I would say probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given is if you can read, you can succeed. Um, what would you like to be remembered for? I would just like to be remembered. Oh, you will be remembered. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we have okay. this podcast to point to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have it. I want to be remembered for um, bringing people together. Oh, wow. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. So last question. Describe mm -hmm. yourself in a hashtag. Hashtag facepalm. <laughs> That's your other emoji, isn't it? But thank you so much for yes. letting us use Finding Father for our very first premiere episode of Lights Up. Thank you for producing this, for putting this together, for having us here. Um, and thank you for being with us and letting us interview you. Oh, you're most welcome. And you're two of my favorite people in the world. So this has been fun. Yeah, stick around. Next week, we'll have something brand new for you.
Should we tell everyone about the secret, super wonderful surprise that we have for them at the end of every episode? So is this secret, super wonderful surprise that you speak of, is that propped? Our very own playwriting contest within the Lights Up podcast. So we are going to ask all of you listeners, playwrights or not, you can be a first-time playwright or a very seasoned playwright, to send us your one-page play submissions based on some props and items that we are going to release every week through our social media. And this was inspired by some game shows, right? Yes, absolutely. One that's near and dear to my heart from the Food Network called Chopped. Participants get a basket with random ingredients in it and they have to make it work. Right. And if you want to submit to us, it's lights up at Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga.com. That's theater with an R-E. And if you want to find out the ingredients for our upcoming prop challenges, you can go visit our social media pages, Ensemble Theater Chattanooga on Facebook. And yeah. can you tell everybody the handle for Instagram? Yes, our Instagram handle is Ensemble underscore theater underscore of underscore chat c-h-a-t-t and that's our our instagram handle and again theater is always r-e so those three props are a crowbar swimming goggles and a dictionary we were really happy to have all these submissions for our premiere episode um we had a lot to choose from they were all really excellent but our favorite this week was swim man by peter dakutis And so we're going to read that for you. Never fear if your play wasn't chosen this week, keep submitting. And we are going to record a few and throw them up on ETC's Patreon page. I will be portraying the character of Blue. Our audio engineer extraordinaire, Eric Red Wyatt, is going to be portraying Swim Man. And Christy, will you read the stage directions for us? Absolutely. All right, Dana and Red, you guys ready? Yes. Yes. All right, Swim Man by Peter Dakutis. Lights up on our secret room with a secret cabinet in it. Blue is grunting and groaning as they try unsuccessfully to pry open a cabinet with a crowbar. Swim man enters. Never fear, swim man is here. My aunt left me some kind of treasure in this cabinet, but I can't open it. Stand aside, I'll use my infrared goggles. The sound of burning and hissing is heard. There, it's open. Swim man pulls out a dictionary and hands it to Blue. It is some sort of book. A dictionary? How does this thing even work? How would I know? I guess you'd just wade through it. But how can I find a word if I don't know how to spell it? And how can I find out how to spell it? There's no autocorrect or do you mean suggestions? We're getting into the deep end here, aren't we? How did anyone learn anything before the internet? Well, my work here is done. I'm swimming away. Swim man mimes swimming as he exits. Why do I feel like I'm treading water? Lights fade. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. 
sound by Eric Red Wyatt, graphics by Jamie Goodnight, and Casey Keelan as the associate producer. Tune in next week for Green Sound by John Patrick Bray. Lights up on Molly's apartment. There is a small kitchen table with two chairs. There is a window which allows sunlight in. There is a small table with a lamp. The apartment should have the appearance of being small and brightly lit. Molly is discovered sitting on her couch. She is drinking out of a teacup. She touches the teacup to her lips three times before taking a sip. She regards the teacup. She repeats the motion twice more. She stands up and moves to the kitchen-style table, setting the teacup on the table, perfectly in the center. She steps back, looking at it. She turns three times. There is a frantic knock at her door. She grabs the teacup, looks for a place to put it, sets it under the couch. Another frantic knock at the door. Molly stands up, gets on her hands and knees, and crawls to the door. She taps it three times. There is another knock. More gentle this time, she stands, still crouching, and taps three times. There are three taps from the other side. She brings herself to her full height. She looks through the eyepiece. She inhales. She steps back. She taps the doorknob three times. She takes the doorknob and opens the door. Taylor is at the door. He is holding a light, the kind of light one might see overhead in a coffee shop. It has crystals and all kinds of fuzzy wires sticking out of the top, like the top of a pineapple. It has been ripped out of the ceiling. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.